Hola, and welcome to episode 67 of Word to Your Mama. Today we have Colony Little. She's an arts writer and she serves on the board of directors at Cam Raleigh, North Carolina, Contemporary Art Museum of Raleigh, North Carolina, or North Cacalac, if you will. In this episode, we discuss the first time she saw herself in art, how being part of the art community has impacted her personal and professional life, the impact on hip hop on our collective lives, and also how urban is not quite the word. If you are a regular listener of Word to Your Mama, you know that she has been on. If that name sounds familiar, it's because it is. She was on episode 47, Colony Little and Ivan Gallardo, the future for BIPOC, disabled, and LGBTQIA artists. During that conversation, uh, we discussed some very important topics that uh, of like what needs to be done and what continually needs to be done in those worlds with those institutions when it comes to, you know, equity, inclusion and all that stuff. So, yeah, in this episode, uh, we get to find out a little bit more of the personal background of Colony Little and what her plans are, uh, you know, how she can how she will contribute to the artist community. Um, she's a black art writer that focuses on black artists, and we need more of that. So let's get it started. And don't forget, after that, check out the um, Supernatural Bear Corner. And I think, you know, I have a feeling it's going to be a little ditty of sorts. Let's get into it. Okay, so uh, let's go. Let's go back to you. So, how how are you doing? Yeah, how have you I'm been? Doing okay. I'm doing okay now. I'm doing better now. But this year started off horribly. Like I thought that, you know, I, we've been in this extended 2020 for so long. Yeah. And I thought that once we got through 2021, I was like, okay. 2022 is brand new year. I'm going to travel. I'm going to go, you know, I want to go to Venice this year. There are all these things that I want to do. And the year just started off with just way too many deaths. My poor doggy died, but you know, like I'm still trying, I'm still reeling over losing him. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's been hard to focus. Um, Over the last couple of years, I, I break out my journal I have last year's here. I break out my journal and I write my goals and, you know, how many shows do I want to visit? How, how many articles do I want to write? How many pitches do I want to send out? All of that. And I haven't been able to like really do meaningful goal setting for the year. So um, I'm kind of writing January off and then kind of just focusing on to, you know, early February for plotting the rest of the year because January was just a mess and a blur. And I, you know, yeah, I'm over it. Over it. Yeah. I, mean, I have to, yeah, it, it can only go up. I'm hoping it can only hoping, go up from here. I'm hoping. I'm so yeah. hoping for you. And, um, yeah. You know, and I, you know, I don't have a pet, but a lot of my, you know, close friends and families do. And so, I just, I don't need to have one to know that they're a part of your family. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the loss is a loss. Do you know that? Like, yeah. people are like, eh, it's just a, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, thank you. I thank you so much for for coming on. I know I was just like, take your yeah. time, like no rush. I'm I'm always here. <laughs> so I really appreciate you. You know, still coming on so so soon, so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's start off with some some good news. Let's start off with yes. I want to hear more about how you joined the board of directors. Tell oh, us about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So um, in July of last year, I joined the board of CAM Raleigh, which is our contemporary art museum in Raleigh, North Carolina. And when I first moved here, because um, you know I moved to Raleigh in 2019, and the first, the first week I was in Raleigh, um, the, the prior director, her name was Gab Smith. I ran into her at a First Fridays event. We have First Fridays here oh, in Raleigh nice. where a lot of the um, galleries and the museums are open, bars do specials so you can walk around and you know meet different business owners and that kind of thing. It's a great way to get to know the city. But I walked into Cam Raleigh and introduced myself to the director and she just opened me with like oh. wide arms and was just like, oh, come on in and we're a family here. And there was a DJ set up and they were doing a show on lowriders. So it, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, this feels like, it feels like home and it feels like LA. I'm in the right place. So um, CAM is a non-collecting museum. So they don't have, um, they don't have a collection of art, which I appreciate. Um, so we focus on art that's being created today, and we focus on fostering relationships among artists. Um, so I was approached to join the uh, board in the summer of last year, and I was like, oh, wow. I, you know, That was always something that I wanted to do um, when I was in L.A., but I was so na completely naive on what boards did in terms of fundraising and the financial <laughs> commitments. I was like, so when I was approached to join the board, I was like, okay, well, financially, I don't have the deep pockets that other you know, members have. But they were looking for someone to help tell the story of the museum and also help um, establish narratives for the artists that are shown in the museum. So once I heard that, I was like, I'm, I'm totally on board because I love telling stories about artists and how they create their work. So that's really, um, that was kind of the impetus behind me joining the board and um, cultural institutions have huge challenges um, just beyond the pandemic, just with, in terms of fundraising and where money comes from and, um, you know, engagement and getting people in the doors and things like that. So you really have to think about how are you going to engage the community? How are you going to engage um, uh, the artists that uh, that you are selecting to show. Um, there are just there are a lot a lot of challenges. Um, let's that you know diversity, inclusion, equity, and all of those issues um, with respect to the people who work in the museum, the people who are shown, and the people who are collected. So there's just there's a lot to contend with, and I, I really do want to help be a part of the solution and uh, try to be a voice for people who have not felt like they could be a part of the museum community in the past. So it's it's a good time. There are a lot of challenges, but it's a good time to, to be on board. 
That's so, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. And then when I did research, I went to their site. I like that. I mean, I don't know if this is new, if they were always like this, but mm-hmm. I like how they, you know, celebrated and recognized what land they were on and yes. the indigenous people that, you know, occupied the land for thousands of years. And, and I, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. Love what they, what's currently there as, you know, what they're showcasing. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that a good fit for you like it seems like such a good fit yeah they're um last december it was right at the end of the year um there was a fundraising luncheon and we had an artist talk and i moderated the discussion it's with a young artist her name emerging artist i don't want to say young um her name is lakia shepherd and she's created some really interesting work that digs into how her upbringing has influenced who she is today and kind of how she's charting her independence and finding her voice. And um, we had an, an, uh, just an artist discussion. It was the first time she spoke in front of a group and she nailed it in terms of being able to express what her art means to her. Mm. Um, You know, it's a a vulnerable place, especially when it's the first time you've had any kind of solo presentation of your work. Um, And she's also a writer, so she's written about her work and she included a lot of um, poetry and prose in Mm. addition to the works that she displayed. And she was really comfortable. I, I was just so impressed with her ability to, to share not only her writing, but also talk about, frankly, what her work is about. And she has a piece called Culture Vulture, which, you know, in a room full of donors talking about how <laughs> um, we exploit art and creativity and Black art in particular um, for monetary gain, she went there in front of the group and uh, and Amazing. they were receptive to it. So, you know, I, I'm just, in order to... Um, cultivate an environment where artists are able to express themselves you know it it takes a lot of trust and I was just I was just so happy that she was comfortable enough with me moderating and with the group and with the museum as a whole to platform her in this way Uh, it was a really special moment so you know at the end of that I was like okay I I feel like I'm in the right place here and I feel like um, you know, in terms of, you know, volunteering time and efforts, that, that's definitely where I, where I need to be. So it's amazing. Like, well, I can't wait to, you know, hear and see more of what they do yeah. up in mm-hmm. uh, Raleigh, uh, North Kakalak. Also, yeah. I, I, I failed to mention that I'm going to have a link in the show notes, but this is not Colony's first time on the podcast. This is her second time, part two. She was here yeah. back in October of 2020. Um, it was episode four, uh, 47, or maybe before that. And it was um, Colleen and Little, Ivan Gallardo, the future for BIPOC disabled and LGBTQ plus artists. That's an amazing conversation. Make sure to go listen to that. I mean, Colleen and Ivan's um, insight. I mean, I, I, I mentioned it in that episode that when I started this, I knew that I wanted to address those issues, especially during that time, what was mm-hmm. happening in our country during that time. And to have mm-hmm. two women, two dope women, two, you know, women of color discuss. And I mean, 
it's it was it's amazing so thank you again for being on here but what that was such a that was such an amazing conversation and what i really appreciated about it was that you know i had never met yvonne before and you know when we met virtually as well and so it was kind of like being able to connect with people um, through art is an amazing thing because you just start to learn that you have other things in common and so you know that yeah those discoveries were were a pleasant surprise so. We had music. I mean, we're yeah. around the, you were, I'm sure we're all in the same age bracket and just kind of like that sensibility. And I don't know if you have been able to, and I think a lot of people that listen to this will understand this. Hmm. We come from a generation where, especially us and Yvonne, and, you know, we're, we, we are, um, of color, we come from a certain time. We grew up in a certain time where hip hop really impacted our lives um, mm. to a point where we weren't fair where the fans. And it's still to this mm. day, there's certain aspects, uh, the elements, there's a certain integrity to it, right? That as we yeah. evolve and grow, we want to align ourselves with projects, people, organizations that kind of are influenced or also impacted by that, but not, and, and it's, my husband and I have been trying to figure this out for the past couple of months because we want to define what kind of, we're, we're launching a new, a new company, a new creative agency, mm-hmm. and we want to talk about who we want to align with or who will be our mm-hmm. ideal company and projects. And it's like, mm-hmm. urban is the wrong word. That's not it. Yeah. Yeah. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you were at this um, amazing museum. There was a DJ. The vibe was there. There's a certain I, I don't know how to explain it, but, yeah. you know, yeah. I, and I feel like you get it. Yvonne gets it. It's like an elevated. I don't know what that word is, though. Do you know what I'm saying? Like an elevated. <laughs> That's so crazy because I talked to a lot of people about that. Um, the funniest thing, I had a conversation with a friend of mine here, um, and she's this amazing nail artist. Her name's Crystal. And we were talking about clubs. And, you know, I'm at an age where I'm not going to be the old woman at the club, right? <laughs> but you want to hang out and listen to good music. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm all about you know, really good DJs and creating a vibe and that kind of thing. And um, so we were talking about like, how can we have, you know, set up a a night at this bar that just opened up, but it's like for grown folks only, like not, you know, like we're not trying to be part of a scene. We're not trying to do a bottle service. We don't even want to really like dress up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. just want to like listen, just it's the vibe. You just want to hear yeah. some good music. People who appreciate old school hip hop, but also, you know, can, you know, pick some underground artists that are relevant today. Today, but yeah. not so beholden to um, the commercial music industry and scoreboard mentality, where it's all about streams and you know, exactly. like how many hits you got to be relevant. So, you know, it's, it's a fine line and we're out there, you know, Um, I think that there, I think that, you know, for folks that are our age and, you know, I I don't have children, 
but you know, all of my friends do and you know their kids are college age now and you know so their interests and responsibilities are being pulled in a lot of different directions um but that doesn't mean that their love for music and especially hip-hop goes anywhere so it's like how do we tap into that yeah and you know and cultivate that because if we don't we're gonna let I don't want to get on a soapbox about generations, but we're going to let younger folks kind of dictate and tell the story of, of that era. And, you know, based on what I'm reading right now in music journalism and stuff, it's like really frustrating. Like, you know, and I don't know, there's a, there, there's a responsibility to preserve legacy um, yeah. in the arts, not just in music, but in visual arts that I, I think is lacking. Um, and in the visual arts realm, I think that we leave it to historians, um, art historians and curators, and they do an amazing job, but it comes from a very scholarly place that yes. is not always inclusive of um, individuals who this art should be reaching out to. So, um, Anyways, I, I think we got off on a tangent there, but I, you know, I'm very, very protective of of the hip hop that I grew up with, and um, you know, making sure that it's respected. And I think that's why we had so much fun with like the verses, the early verses <laughs> shows. You know, like it was kind of all of us. That was a venue where we all came together. And it wasn't about a scene, right? Because yeah. there was no scene to be had. We were all just home and, um, you know, just vibing off of memories that this music provided. Um, D-Nice did the same thing. Oh, yeah. You know? D-Nice was there for us from the beginning. Yeah. He was and there still, and still us. out still there, going. you know, trying to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's like, you know, as 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 both of us are storytellers in, in different ways, I, I've for me, I've, as a parent and as an older parent, I feel that's my responsibility, you know, to teach the supernatural bear the origins of things and mm -hmm. the history of things. And so today mm -hmm. we're driving to the park and he was like, you know, I've been getting ready and I've just been singing a lot of hollow notes. Can we listen to hollow notes? And I was like, my job here is done. <laughs> Success. You know, see that too. I think that's the other, the other reason why I love you so much is because it's not just even hip hop. You know, we have a love for, new wave and yes. hollow notes and art old school r&b and i mean it the, you know i yeah. think we've had some depeche mode and duran duran moments yeah i mean like it's you know i Classics. think that there was like there was a time where we could all coexist um and appreciate each other and our you know and our interests without um i don't know without being overly labeled I don't know yeah. how, to, how to describe yeah. it. Like we were able to kind of float, um, at least when I was coming up, I was able to kind of float among a lot of different groups um, coming together through through music. And I think that some of that is lost today. Yeah. Where there's this overarching need to categorize everything. True. And it's funny that you said float because my one of my, the first um, bio artist bio that I had, I had someone help me write it because I can't write for shit. And she, I was telling her my story and she's like, oh, okay. So she, in my bio was like, 
she was something something a floater amongst her peers because that's what I was. Oh, I was a floater. Yeah. That's all I, you know, yeah. I, I, I couldn't stick just with these kids or these kids. Like I liked it all. <laughs> Give it yeah. to me all. Yeah. And one thing that I was able to do in the car was play Method of Modern Love, play it for him and explain to him that Method Man used the beginning part of it for, you know, Wu-Tang Clan Method Man. And then I was able to play that for him. And he nice. was like, you know, just like lessons, just lessons, yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyways, Let's start with what I didn't get a chance to do with you last time. It's just a little mm. quick overview of where were you born? Where were you raised? Mm. I was born in Walnut Creek, California mm. and raised in Concord, California, which is um, East Bay, Northern California, about 45 minutes east of San Francisco. Um, my dad's from Oakland. My grandmother was, uh, lived in Oakland when she was in her teens. So um, my family has, on my dad's side, has Oakland roots. And then my mom's from Texas. Ah. Um, so, yeah. So she um, moved to Texas in the late 60s um, and lived in Oakland. And that's where she met my dad. So, yeah, um, so I grew up in the Bay Area, and I went to UC Berkeley and lived in Berkeley and Oakland for about 10 years, just under 10 years, and then moved to Los Angeles in 2001. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's my background in a nutshell. Um, I worked in the I worked in corporate America for a number of years prior to um, starting my writing career, um, and so I worked in San Francisco. And um, when I was working in San Francisco, I spent a lot of my time on the weekends in clubs in the city. So mm. I lived in Oakland, and then um, you know uh, went to a lot of parties and clubs in the city. And that's where I think that's where I kind of cemented my love for hip-hop and kind of the dj scene mm. um so then when i moved to la i was still you know really involved in kind of the underground scene but also kind of just kind of over it in terms of hanging out in clubs and stuff mm. um and uh i was not married yet but dating my husband. And so we were definitely, I think we were in our thirties then. So we were definitely at that stage. Where we were like, okay, we, the clubbing thing is kind of over for us, but, um, music has always been an important element of our lives. So my husband, um, he works and has a job, but he produces music in his spare time and digs for vinyl and hunts for vinyl and all that. Um, and I tag, I tag along with them. So we spent in LA, we spent a lot of our time at fat beats yeah. and amoeba and stuff like that. Um, and we were just talking about, we were just talking about Percy P and fat beats the other day. I don't even know how that came up, but, um, just, you know, like miss, we miss that energy of, yeah. you know, DJs in a record store and, you know, hearing a sample and going where's that from and then you know just chopping it up with folks just randomly you know I, I miss that yeah that whole community the community the good vibes like um like yeah. especially shout out to soul children and and r.i.p al jackson um you know those are i think their juju events 
are things that could happen now for all ages. Very inclusive, Mm -hmm. very not clubby like that. It's just like everyone's there to sweat and feel the music and know the history or learn the history. And then at the end, they put out instruments and like, you know, all kinds of things so everyone could take part of it. And it's just the the best (laughs) vibes ever. And I feel like that's the kind of thing, you know, because if a DJ that I love is playing, I'll be the old lady there. We're relaunching the Cove Collective Book Club in March 2022. It'll be a membership-based virtual book club for women of color where we'll have seasonal meetups, digital book discussion guides, author Q&As, downloadable resources, and much, much more. Pay $49 per quarter every three months or $149 when you pay for the year up front. Head to our website, covecollective.ca to sign up for the waitlist. I'll be the old lady or I'll be that. But, you know, it has to be if it's something else, it has to be something along that vibe. And one thing I wanted to make sure that um, I asked you was. How did you know what what, a through line that's for almost every episode here is the nonlinear career Mm. path. But Mm. did you know. When did you know that art was always like in your soul and you wanted it to be something that you did and focused on and helped and cultivated? Such a good question. Um, I fell in love with art through museums. So I was the kid who um, loved the field trips to, you know, the aquarium, the natural history museum, um, any art museum, I grew up as an only child, so my parents always took me along, you know, on cultural things that, um, you know, I think that uh, for other kids that would have been really boring and, you know, but I was just really into it. And um, the first time that I went to a museum by myself and just was immersed in the art was at um, SF MoMA and it was probably, oh my gosh, it had to have been in the mid nineties and it was a Keith Haring exhibit. And I was just so obsessed with him as a person and how he experienced New York. And so at that point in my life, I wanted to live in New York and had this really like completely unrealistic view of what New York was like in the 90s. But that was a goal. Like I wanted to, I wanted to live in New York. And um and we lost him at such a young age and his story was just so tragic and there was just so much potential there that I, it was just, it, it was an extreme like loss. And so being able to just be immersed in his work in all kinds of forms was really inspiring. Um, that was a show that left an indelible mark on me. And then there was another show that I went to um, and I saw this piece, I think this was at like the de Young Museum or something. And I saw this piece by Archibald Motley, who was a, a black writer um, in the 
early 1900s and he did a lot of like um i don't jazz age paintings and there was this this one painting and it was in like a big ballroom and everyone was dancing having fun and there was this woman and it was almost like she's in the center of the in the center of the frame and she's dancing and her head is just like you know like whisk behind her and she's just like enraptured with the energy and what's going on and for me that was just like that was that felt like my life at that moment mm -hmm. like just it, I don't know it just felt very aspirational and it was just it was one of the time one of the few times where I actually saw myself in mm -hmm. a paint rendered in a painting and in um in a unique way and that just stuck with me so I always knew that I had to be surrounded by art so that was really kind of my my creative release from a job that was very left brain and very analytical um, I worked in the insurance industry and worked oh, wow. with technology companies and so I was surrounded by engineers and you know scientists and you know the dot-com boom and all of that stuff and while that was exciting from a technology standpoint, um, there was always that creative side that I had to had that was an itch that I needed to scratch. But I didn't start writing about art until I came to LA. And um, that again, my experience in LA was it was a rough transition because it was just hard for me to find my tribe and mm -hmm. find my footing. And through art, I was able to do that. Um, and you know. And in moving from LA to Raleigh, I see even the differences in how artists' communities are fostered. Um, I was, as much as I wrote about art in LA, I never really felt part of the community. Mm. Um, part of that was because I, I, you know, at one point I lived in Santa Clarita and had to drive, you know. Mm an hour just to get to see a show and all that. So I wasn't as immersed in the scene as much. Um, but art was always the way that I could find home. Mm -hmm. And so no matter where I was, I would find a museum um, and, you know, find a gallery and learn about the artists that were creating. And through their stories, you learn about place. Um, that has been something that's been really special for me coming to Raleigh is that I didn't know I, I, everything that I knew about the South was through my experiences, uh, through my mother's experiences mm -hmm. growing up in Texas, um, in Jim Crow, Texas, mm -hmm. and living in segregation and um, her leaving that behind to come to California was a matter of life it was just that saved her life and, yeah. and radically changed how she lived um, and it was not anything that she wanted to return back to so I had this perception of the south that you know um, by me coming here am I going back in time and you know am mm. I what what are the implications of that and my experiences here have been uh, very eye-opening in terms of reckoning with history and seeing how the narratives are changing almost on a daily basis. And so being here at a time where we're reckoning with monuments and reckoning with legacies and now continuing to deal with how we 
teach those legacies and teach that history, um, it's it's a real important time to be here. And artists are grappling with all of those issues through their work, through uh, recognizing the past, acknowledging the past, mm. and finding a way to move forward. And those narratives are are so vitally important to help us deal with the crap and the shit that we're dealing with right now. Um, so art in in a lot of ways, um, it, you know, it it helps me get a perspective and understanding on place. It helps me understand history. It helps me um, chart a path for the future and see a path for the future. Um, it's a catharsis, you know, it, it, it just plays so many roles, so many restorative roles for me that I just can't imagine not being around art in, in some way in my life. And so um, through writing, I feel like that's a way to, to um, not only kind of cement it and cement those themes in my mind is that it helps other people understand where the artist is coming from and, and helping them um, connect the dots between some of the um, historical narratives that they're trying to share in their work um, that might not be as uh, immediately apparent in, in looking at a piece, um, but kind of digging into, digging into that background and that story um, is an important element in, in understanding the work. That's amazing. And so being a Black writer, arts writer, now you're on the board of directors at, at Cam Raleigh and, and your focus um, since the last time you are here was, you know, um, Black artists. Have It's been a year and a half, I say. Two things. Has your writing and perspective changed because, as you mentioned before, you wrote about art a lot in LA, but you didn't feel a part of the community. But now you feel a part, you are a part of the community and feel a part of the community. Has that impacted the way you write? And second of all, what shifts, if any, have you seen in the short amount of time? Because they say, you know, art evolves or strengthens or all these different things in time of crisis, it, it dictates what's happening currently. Has there been any shifts in the artists that you've covered, the artists that you've had conversations with since the last time we spoke in 20, mm -hmm. uh, end of 2020? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the first question about has my writing changed, um, that's interesting because I, you know, when I was in LA, I spent a lot of time um, writing about shows, writing about exhibitions, but I shied away from interviews and um, studio visits. Um, I think it, that some imposter syndrome kind of snuck in uh, there in terms see. of, um, you know, uh, being face to face with artists and uh, I don't have an art history background. So, you know, I didn't want to get called out for, you know, 
asking a dumb question or, you know, being, you know, being naive about, you know, the process and um, not knowing the technical aspects. So it was, it was something that I avoided and it, I never realized it until I moved here and I started writing for um, a local magazine called Walter. It's the arts and culture magazine here in Raleigh. And I started uh, do I started doing more interviews with artists and going into their studio spaces and being invited into their studio spaces, and um, that dialogue, that direct dialogue, fed my soul probably more than me me writing about them in a magazine. You know, like yeah. I got as much out of it as they did, and um, so now I I look to interview artists far more than I did uh, before. So nice. that changes writing tremendously because you're not as wedded to your own voice. You're now incorporating the writer's voice and their words, and you want to make sure that you're doing their work justice. So I don't do, I tend not to do just like, I don't publish verbatim interviews like here's the question here's the answer yeah, yeah i you know tell a story and then weave their voice into into the piece um, but that's probably the the biggest way that my writing has changed um in terms of kind of what's changed for artists here since we last talked if I'm understanding the, yes, yes, the yes. second part of your question. Like if you notice, you know, because especially because I, I have seen the shift where you are, you know, interviewing, it's like a different type of writing. Um, mm -hmm. And because your focus has been black artists mm -hmm. and, and the, the circles you're in and things that you read, has there been a shift with artists and what do they feel just where, just the mm -hmm. space, the mental space of of their art, and how had they been moved to change it? Are they, mm -hmm. you know, what what is if there's any shifts that you've seen? Everyone that I've talked to, um, you know, an artist, or the artists that I've talked to have been indelibly changed by the joint forces of the pandemic mm. and the cultural reckoning that we're that we're having right now mm. um, that continues to evolve and so in the conversations that i've been having their work has been you know a way of of grappling through those issues and every artist kind of deals with it differently for example, last year I was able to um, I, I interviewed Betty Saar, who's one of my all-time favorite artists. I every time I talk to her, I turn into just like a pile of mush and get all garbled, and you know, just go, oh, I really like you, and, you know, uh, I can just yeah, I can't even form complete sentences. So I was able to um, interview her on some work that she did during the pandemic and, and hearing her perspective as an artist in her 90s and you know what she had to deal with um, in terms of dealing with isolation in the pandemic was very different from an artist who is in their 20s and 
you know, relished being isolated <laughs> and, you know, having the time to create and not having to, you know, be part of, you know, a very um, popularity driven art scene. So like the perspectives on dealing with COVID-19 and the pandemic were, were really different. Mm. Where one artist was like, okay, I had to find solace in the materials and the objects that, that were sitting around me. And, you know, I had to kind of take comfort in that. And another individual who, you know, was like, okay, I'm embracing the solitude and I'm going to come out, come up with something really creative and innovative as a result of it. Um, so kind of grappling with those things has been really interesting. And then in terms of, um, you know, dealing with monuments, police brutality, racism, sexism, you know, uh, this barrage on reproductive rights. I mean, there's just yeah. so many issues that have come to a head. Um, artists have to find a way to grapple with that and, and address that in their work. Um, there's a show that I just saw at the National Museum, which is Duke, Duke University's mm. Museum um, in Durham. And it's a whole, it's a show on reckoning and resilience and how artists have have kind of dealt with these internalized issues and how have they processed the trauma and the pain um, you know that has come out through protests and, and that kind of thing and so um, there was this one photograph that just hit me over the head it was of uh, this man who he was on a riverbank and he was submerged in water partially submerged in water with an american flag mm. um, underneath him soaked in water and i think there were two children standing nearby so it's, it's a, a very violent mm. scene of a man who appears to have drowned that image was striking enough as it is but in the wall text, and I'm going to write about this um, at some point because this just it really disturbed me. But in the wall text, it mentioned that um, when the photographer was shooting the image, a canoe um, was uh, floating by with two white individuals in the canoe, and he, the photographer heard them say, "Oh my God, the American flag is you know oh in bottom water." The first goddamn thing they see is the American flag. They don't mention the black man who appears to have been drowned in the water wow. and they don't attempt to. So I saw that and I just, I physically felt sick. I was just like, wow. this is where we are now. This is where we are. And that, so seeing that, you know, like we may feel it, right? Um, or some of us may feel it. Yeah. And then others are able, both in the pandemic and I think also through all of these um, social issues that we're contending with now, there are others that can just live their lives as if yeah. nothing's going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that that was like the perfect manifestation of how divided this country is right now. Yeah. And so um, seeing that visually was just something really 
tremendous. So I right now am resonating with artists who are who are grappling with that through mm-hmm. their work. Um, and on the flip side, there are artists who feel like we we have to tell other stories besides trauma. Yes. And we have to celebrate joy. Yeah. And so one of the things that's really um, profound in that show is that there are um, artists who are telling new stories, who are thinking about, um, you know, what are what is black what are black futures? Um, what are, what does our future look like? Um, how do we enjoy the present and how do we celebrate joy in the present? Um, so there's some photography by Kennedy Carter, who is, um, a, a photographer who I adore. She's doing some phenomenal editorial work right now. Um, but there are some images of, um, of a young girl, you know, standing on a horse and just, you know, just, looking regal mm. and um, kind of celebrating those those moments is equally important. So I, I love the balance there yeah. um, in, in terms of storytelling. Yeah, definitely. I always think joy equals resistance. And we yeah. need to, sh- especially um, during these times, we need to show, like you said, the balance and show our people um enjoy you know having joyful moments and like you Mm -hmm. said the futures what's possible um because just like when you mentioned that piece of art that you saw yourself for the first time ever that that changed you right Mm -hmm. and i know that my relationship with art would have been dramatically different if i would have seen myself as a you know when I was young seeing myself somewhere and you know that didn't happen for like a long time and I was going to ask you about um Betty Sarr if I say her name right because I found out through a little birdie that she's your favorite living artist (laughs) (laughs) and then I did research I was like oh I'm not knowing and I did research amazing I, I if I would ever get a chance to meet her, I would want to hug her. Like she's one of yeah. those, there's people in the world that you just want to hug. Like even yes. digitally, I felt that energy of like, wow. Like, so yes. I'm sure that's, her work is amazing. Um, I'm so happy that I know about her now. I definitely oh, am going to yeah. have a link to her work and anything that Colony has said um, during this conversation. I mean, I want everyone to learn about all this shit. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like spread it wide yeah. and far. Um, okay, so let's get into the not so rapid fire questions, the aka slow as hell questions. But this is part two because you've been here and you answered them already. Okay, and this is going to be a little bit special because I didn't make these up. The same little birdie that told me that your who your favorite living artist was, who told you that, put these together, and maybe (laughs) if you if I start, you know, asking these rapid fire questions, it'll give you a sense of who the little birdie is. Are you okay. ready, Colony? Okay, okay. Duran Duran or New I... Order? What? <laughs> How? <laughs> oh my God, that's like a mother choosing favorite kids 
Duran Duran or New or oh my God, that's okay, a Sophie's I choice. I do know who asked you this? <laughs> who who um, do you think? Who do you think? <laughs> it's the person who owns these uh, records yes. that are behind me. Okay, <laughs> Run Rock. You're wonderful. Okay. You're wonderful and lovely uh, <laughs> husband. So thank you so much. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So I love them both for two, for very different reasons. You can only I, pick you know, one colony. Okay. I, uh, this is supposed to be rapid. Okay. I mean, it, that's why it's called AKA the slowest hell questions because it's never <sighs> that new rapid. New order. I still listen. New order. I still listen to. So I'll go with new order. Okay. Oh. That's tough. That's tough, man. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to answer that because you're right. There good things for different reasons and seasons and And duran duran you know i was i was a big duranny when i was when i was a a a young a wee lass um who who was your favorite who did you have a a a wallet size photo in your hello kitty wallet john taylor john taylor john taylor all day every day because he played the bass i mean come on he was he's gorgeous and beautiful and just like yeah yeah all day all day john taylor john taylor exactly yeah. Yeah, okay yeah. next one i feel another sophie's choice sade or mary j blige oh. <laughs> god these are hard oh. <laughs> he knows you uh, well oh no sade because I saw Sade live, that was probably one of the best concerts I've ever been to. And it was, oh my God, it was just so much fun. And um, she, yeah, as Sade is like, both Sade and Mary struggle with like dance when they, when they perform <laughs> live. Yes, yes. But, um, but Sade is, you know, the band as well. It's so it's like, that is, it's like, that's a show. Yeah um mary as a as a writer yeah i mean there's no come on there's no comparison but um yeah i have more sade albums and yeah okay so sade for that one sade and the the last one is de la soul saturdays or tribes bonita apple ball Oh my God. So you're not asking me like existential questions. Like, you know, <laughs> I was prepared for that. Part part um, two is always, you know, personalized in some way. And he came through. I was going to do it myself, but he, 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 he provided this without me yeah, asking. Okay, Amazing. Okay. Saturdays or Benita Applebaum. Oh, you know, a roller skating jam called Saturdays always comes through. I mean, that's like, it, in addition to it just being the best roller skating that's vibe out there, you can clean to it, you can dance to it. You know, that's just, that's yeah. sunshine in a song. So um, that always puts me in a, that always puts me in a happy mood. So, um, Yeah. And and because it's part deux and and so much, I mean, little time, but in a pandemic and in this thing that we're in, also a lot of time has passed. What are your latest new hype songs? Is there a new hype song that you recently added to your repertoire? Oh, 
<laughs> a new hype song? No. I mean, it doesn't have to be but, a new but, artist, but something that, <laughs> oh, this is recent. I've been putting it's heavy rotation. Okay, I will. will say the song that's in heavy rotation is, um, oh, wait. I'm going to ha- look, wait. <laughs> I can play it. Let me see if I can play it for you right now, because it's what pulls up every single time I uh, pull up YouTube, and it's Freeway. Wait, did you hear that? No. Okay, hold on. Freeway? Yeah. Who's that by? Or is that the... Oh, no, Freeway's the artist. Oh, Freeway. Freeway and Benny Siegel, what we do. Oh, what's the name of the song? what we do. Do you remember um, yeah. a couple months ago when there was a, um, I think it was like 76ers game and they were, and Freeway was in the audience and they start playing a song and there's this woman who like, yes, all the words. Yes. And they stay on her. So, so what we do is always, it, it just, it's always in my head now. Okay. And it's Got been it. like that for a year. So that would be my, that would be like my fight song. If I had to like, walk into a enter a ring that would be it i I know exactly what you're talking about i love that video it it comes up on my uh twitter feed every once in a while they always show that woman and she just like knows you know verbatim all the stuff and And she's like giving she's putting the hood on she's yeah she's giving it all to you i love it i love it i love Mm -hmm. it oh amazing um so yeah so that is uh, you know Mm. thank you to your amazing uh wonderful husband who who Aww. gave me these? Um, he didn't even tip me off. On exactly, so exactly. Got, you know, he's got a good poker face. He's a keeper. He's a keeper, <laughs> and he knows how much I love Betty Star too. Um, <laughs> so I think that's a really cute question. That's super because, cute. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's met her with me a couple of times, and she's just the warmest person. But she's also, I mean she's a pisser she's got she's very opinionated and she's you know um she will push back on you um but you know her her talent is just is unparalleled and i think that um la has done her a disservice by Mm. not showing her work in a broader sense uh, in terms of a retrospective i I know lacma did a, a good show um, of her right before I left, but um, she's someone who deserves to be shown more more broadly. And I think that that's the case for a lot of uh, Black women artists mm. who um, are over the age, over, over a certain age, and just haven't been recognized, um, haven't been given their, their just due. And I think that there's this compulsion in the art market to try and give them their flowers now, but um, it, it's, you know, we're not recognizing that um, so many artists had to put their careers on pause to raise families, to, you know, build careers, just to live. To live, survive. Um, and could not, and could not cultivate their practice to the same extent that their white male peers could. Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of work to do um, to, to, elevate, to elevate them and to continue to cultivate artists who are coming up now. So we have to create spaces for them 
um, to continue with their craft, to support them, um, and not treat them as a commodity. And I mm. think that, um, you know, I don't want to get on another art soapbox, but it's, I it. think this was something that we talked about with Yvonne yes. in, um, last year was that, you know, when we talk about um, the art world, we need to segregate the art market from what's happening in museums um, and in artist-run spaces. Um, because if you're focused on what's happening in market, um, you know, you're going to, what we're seeing now is, you know, um, a lot of younger artists who are being, you know, put pedestals and, you know, everyone's clamoring for their work and, you know, and inflating their, their value and their prices. But they're not always benefiting from, you know, the when their work is resold and when mm. investors who are, you know, speculating on who's going to be the next hot artist, they're gobbling them up at, you know, fairly, you know, competitive prices and then reselling in the market. And so, you know, we have to do a better job of supporting and cultivating artists so that they can have long, thriving careers. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of my goals in, in participating um, on this board with CAM and doing that work is, um, you know, we have to, I have to separate myself from the market aspects and this, and really like, how do we find ways to, to support the work that they're creating now so that they can continue to support it for decades to come. Love that. Colony, thank you so much for agreeing to do this again, for your sure. insight, for sharing your stories, sure. and just for being so real and always wanting to uplift, um, tell these stories, create safe spaces. Um, you're a gem. So thank you oh. so much for everything that you do. I see you. I hear you. I appreciate you. Um, if you're in North Kekilak and Raleigh, Make sure to check out um, the Contemporary Art Museum. Make sure I'll put all in the show notes where you can follow the amazing Colony Little. And, you know, hopefully she'll always post the, her latest writings um, that you can check out and read. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Colony. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you, you. Ritzy. I appreciate you. <laughs> And now, introducing the Supernatural Bear Corner. Supernatural Bear. Whoa, here she comes. Watch out, boy, she'll chew you up. Whoa, here she comes. Watch out, she's a man-eater. Whoa, here she comes. She's a man-eater. Ooh, it's wow. Whoa, here she comes. She's a man-eater. Woo! Shoopy-doo. There you have it, folks. Episode 67 of Word to Your Mom with Colleen Little. What a gem. What a gem. Don't forget, we're going to have uh, everything we talked about as far as links 
in the show notes as we do for every episode. And as I predicted in the beginning of the episode, Supernatural Barry Corner was definitely a little ditty. And also that is evidence of my top shelf parenting kids. Top shelf. Because Hollow Notes has been a part of his life since he was in utero. But if I really, really think about it, epigenetics, folks, is not just for trauma. I think quality taste in music has been embedded in this human. And he has, then you combine it with having an old soul, forget about it. I mean, he's over there in the shower singing stuff that, you know, is from our time. He's over there playing in his room, singing Holly Notes. And as you heard in the story, requesting it. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to toot your own horn and I'm toot tooting because <laughs> he's Holly Notes. He also asked me to, he wanted to, he wants to see them live because I found that they're on tip top. Hollow notes are on TikTok, tip top, TikTok. And um, they have been posting some amazing footage of back in the 70s. And I showed it to him the other day and he was like, yeah, I want to see them live. I was like, and you shall, and you shall. I've been to almost every Hollow notes concerts uh, since the early 2000s. And I want to give a shout out to his Thea Karen and his uncle, uh, Mr. D, and his Thea Aaron, because they hopefully, if it happens, will witness him seeing Hollow Notes for the first time. We'll keep you updated. But yes, thank you again for supporting. I believe next week we'll be able to announce the good news that I've been alluding to the past couple of episodes. If you donate, if you are so inclined to donate, as you heard last episode, we will give you a shout out and you're going to get some snail mail, folks. That is correct. I do it old school and you get a thank you card handwritten, not typed, mailed out with a stamp and everything. So let that be a little motivation for you. Also, you can help us for free. Because if it's free, it's me to just by telling your folks, telling your peeps and telling your friends. There's also the Patreon, different levels. There's also buy us a whiskey, which is really just a, like another way of Patreon, basically. Um, you can do one time donations. You can do um, ongoing subscriptions and you get perks and things, things that regular listeners don't get. So, yes, yes, yes. There's multiple ways of helping us out, helping. If you help us, you are helping to get more diverse voices out there. So, yes, let's do it. Also, as you heard today in this episode, we got a promo um, all month. We've had a promo from the C Cove Collective. And I'll put a link in the show notes because I was a guest on the Amazing Ladies podcast. And they're in, in let's say, Canada. They're, they're in Canada. And I love building the bridge, building the bridge with um, amazing, talented women of color, you know, cross imaginary lines and borders. So, yeah, let's keep building. And as always, we reap. Word to Your Mama is owned and produced by Ritz P. Intro Beat produced by Nico Beats. If you want to know anything about Word to Your Mama, including Media Kit, go to wordtoyourmama.com. And as always, Word to Your Mama is brought to you by ritzyperiwinkle.com.